I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I hit the ball first time, and there it was in the back of the net. Motivation, 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 the three M. Perverse. In a, in a football field. With kids watching. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4 4 f***ing 2. And that boy is out to take a penalty. 8 1. Eight bloody one. I'm just saying to the colleague, referee's got me the sack. Thank you ever so much for that one. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Touchline. We are back and we have an absolute doozy of an episode for you that will contain both swearing and ranting. Uh, joining me is Seb Patrick. Seb, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah. Good, good, good. My name's David Hartrick and we'll get cracked on because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we are a podcast, so we have to start with an opening question or I believe we get kicked off podcast platforms. Uh, quite simply, what is your favourite slash best uh, example of a footballer appearing on film, Seb? We talked about it a little bit when we did the Gold TV episode because it featured in the clip showing that. But I find it really hard to look past Graeme Souness and, to a lesser extent, Sammy Lee uh, in Boys from the Black stuff. You're Graeme Souness, aren't you? Yeah. You're famous. Well, I'm Yossi Hughes. Pleased to meet you. You would look like me. Oh, I. Magnum as well. Pardon? Magnum. A detective. He used to be on the television. An American. Oh, I... For those who haven't seen it, uh, it's a scene where, where Yozza Hughes, uh, the famous Yozza Hughes, played by Bernard Hill, um, gate crashes a, a, a charity party uh, in order to meet Graeme Souness because he, he looks like him. Uh, has this conversation with him where, you know, he says, you're Graeme Souness, you look like me. Uh, Magnum as well. Um, <laughs> and because uh, he does, he, he does look like him. Um, and there's multiple reasons why it works. Um, I mean, to be honest, most of them aren't. Graham Souness. The reasons why it works are because it's an Alan Bleasdale drama and it's Bernard Hill. And Bernard Hill is Bernard Hill's performance as Yozzy Hughes is just one of the 
greatest performances in in British television drama. But this scene is like, it feels a bit like a kind of a proto-Begbie in that it's dripping with this tension of sort of, is he, and his kids are there in the scene as well, but he's like, is he going to kind of go a little bit nuts here? Because he's just, you know, throughout the whole thing, he's a man on the verge of of cracking. Um, But it's just great. And like he, you know, he he has this weird conversation about how he looks like him. He asks him for his autograph. There's a great bit where he says, uh, he's after, he's already said that his name Yozza, uh, and then he and then he says, uh, "We sign this, Graham." Uh, Graham's like, uh, "Who's it to?" He goes, "Me." Oh, what name is it? Yozza Hughes. And then so he signs it. He's like, "Ah, oh, thanks, Graham." Um, and it's like, uh, Graham Sooness himself um, doesn't have to do very much. It's very restrained, but actually, he's very good at doing the little that he has to do, which is to be very reticent and a bit bewildered. But again underneath the surface is here is an extremely hard Scottish man who if you start on him will probably lay you out um, and in the meantime you've got Sammy Lee sitting in the background being completely ignored and just sitting there looking terrified throughout the whole scene Sammy Lee doesn't say a word but it's just terrified throughout the whole scene uh, it's great it's, I mean if anyone hasn't seen Boys from the Black stuff and in particular the Yozza story episode because they're actually all they've got a running thread but they are all actually kind of self contain individual dramas uh go and hunt it down or at the very least watch that scene because it's it's hilarious Uh, yeah i can't i I can't agree enough really um my uh, i'm slightly obsessed with footballers in adverts particularly when they (laughs) have to act to any sort of degree um i did a, a a an england based twitter account with uh, mr football clichés adam hurry and uh, we one of the best threads we did was tracking down various uh, england ex and current footballers in adverts from from all around the world um david beckham's acting long before king arthur uh, mm-hmm. was already very very uh, dodgy if i say the words outside then there'll be a lot of people who remember that particularly Pepsi, that particular Pepsi ad with uh, zero fondness. Um, but my favourite instance of of footballers on screen is actually football managers, and it's a yellow pages advert, and it's Bobby Robson and Graham Taylor who uh, ring each other and they're having a chat, and they sort out a. Uh, cake to welcome Terry Venables into the England job. Wow. Clara's Cakes. Hello, I wonder if you can help me. Yes, we could do that. Fine. Uh, What colour would you like the tracksuit? Orange? Do I not like orange? Pardon? Ah, it's just a joke, love. Blue, I think. I see here it says you deliver. Oh, that's nice. Good luck from Bobby and Graham. <laughs> and it is a just... One of the reasons I love it is it's because, so, you know, football is so serious now, you couldn't possibly, yeah. possibly do it. And it's just a really lovely little 
you know, 35 seconds of, <laughs> of, of football on screen, really. Taylor and Robson, have, their sort of acting is, is limited, but they both do it really, really well, like genuinely mm. well as well. You know, there's a genuine level of affection there. And then Terry Venables, when he gets the cake at the end, pulls it off. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you would expect him to, though, because he is a bit yeah. Mr. Showbiz, Terry Venables, at the best of times. The cake at the end that they've sent him um, is a, a lion uh, wearing a, a Union Jack flag uh, with, with uh, Terry, well, a man in a, in a tracksuit with tell written on the back, putting his head into the lion's mouth. Yeah. And it, I, it <laughs> just, nice, it says nice so much cake. about football <laughs> at the time. But as I said, it's just, uh, it's sort of so gentle and mm. it's, it's just lovely. And it's, there's something very nice. I mean, like I mean, let's face it. Like Graham Taylor is like one of the the best people to have worked in football, as as is Bobby Robson. In fact, the both of them are. But Taylor in particular, like to be in in 1994 to do an advert, like like that's that's mm. not that long after everything. Yeah, and you know the way that he was treated, and to and to do that advert with a smile on his face uh, reflects really well on him. I think. Well, this is it. I, I like Bobby Robson's treatment from sort of nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety. The England job was just. Mm. I mean, when when you think of headlines like "In the name of Allah, please go," stuff you just wouldn't get away with now. And then mm. Graham Taylor came into the job, and the problem was the papers had just had the best part of four years learning and understanding that negativity towards England sold them vast numbers of papers and helped Mm. them win these mad circulation wars. Graham Taylor just walked into an absolute bear pit. You know, genuinely, it's no exaggeration to say he never had a hope in hell, Graham Taylor, of, I mean, he could have won the World Cup and they would still have torn Mm. him apart. (laughs) But to do to do an advert like that and just as as I said to sort of poke fun at the situation, I just love it. Absolutely love it. I win this week because there's only two of us and I get to decide. So that's out. There you go. All right, I I will leave you to tell uh, Yosa Hughes and Graham Sooness that, that they haven't won. Fine. <laughs> uh, right, we'll get into our main discussion, um, which is we're going to talk about. A film that several people remember with fondness. Lots of people have seen at least part of it. Everybody remembers the ending. It is one of those films for football fans. It is 1996's When Saturday Comes, starring your bastard Sean Bean. If you could have been a footballer, you'd have been snapped up by England schoolboys two years ago. You shaky little git. I don't need to go down no careers office to know how you'll end up. Morning, Judd. Morning, Jimmy. What time of day do you call this? What? I'm nine minutes late. Who's that bull neck? You can forget about getting your leg over with a... Uh... Should we come out with it? Well, I don't think I'll go from the house. I wouldn't be too happy about that. Are you married? No, no, I was only joking. Should we come out with it then? Bruno tells me you're next best footballer. I'd love to see you play sometime. Ken Jackson, coach for Allen Football Club. We're looking for a good right winger. Another brilliant performance there tonight, laddie. Even here tonight, huh? Ooh, Tony Curry wants to give you a trial. Jimmy, it's your trial tomorrow. You want to make it a quiet night? Good fighting. Thank you, five. I've seven large wishes, please. Where's that bloody hell of you been? You smell like a brewery. You're out, son. You couldn't have cocked it up better if you'd have tried. Is this what you want? Strippers and boozers, huh? 
Stupid. You're sorry? You're selfish. But potential's no bloody good if you haven't got the courage to do something with it. It's a bad kid. I know you do that. You better not blow it. He won't blow it. Is he getting tomorrow? Seems to let you play. Now, before we get into the the sort of nitty gritty and the fine detail, Seb, I would like to I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna read out the IMDB description of the story, okay? And then I just want to have a few minutes as not not spoilers per se, but I think what I wanna do is is just Give me your thoughts on it overall, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts on it overall. Because I think when people listen to this, there's going to be a few people who've not seen it for a long time, and as I said, have have probably a level of fondness for it that I don't think is deserved. But we shall get on to that. So, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the plot, Jimmy Muir is a hard-drinking brewery worker in the city of Sheffield with an arrogant lack of respect for authority. His entire life has been orientated by football and he possesses the potential but has never had the courage or discipline to make anything of it. Jimmy is spotted by Ken Jackson whilst playing for his pub team. It, is it a pub team or is it Hallam FC are we supposed no, to No, he joins Hallam uh, after being spotted yes, playing yeah, for Yeah, that's team. it. Yeah, yes. yeah. So Ken is the manager of Hallam Football Club, of course, a local non-league team. After continually playing brilliantly for Hallam, Jimmy gets offered a trial at Sheffield United at the age of about 35. But we'll get there. There's, <laughs> I'm simmering here, Seb. I really want to get into tearing this apart. The evening before the trial, he gets drunk and wakes up feeling very rough. Consequently, he fails to impress the Sheffield United manager. Jimmy then has to consider his future and his choices and if he has the self-discipline to succeed. Now, that doesn't really cover everywhere the film goes. Um, but, yeah, give me give me a minute on did you even like this film, Seb? Um. The answer to whether I liked the film is a is a very straightforward one, which is a, a, no, I did I did I did not it. Uh, but I think it's worth uh, separating out, as I think we will generally do with with football films on this podcast, um, which is to to look at them how they are as football films, and specifically by that, I don't even really mean like how they are thematically about football or that kind of thing. I really just mean how they portray football on the screen. And then how they are as films, and and we'll get into it a bit more. I think that in terms of how it portrays football on the screen, while there are niggles over the circumstances that it shows, when it's actually showing people kicking balls around, I do think it's one of the better examples. That is about the only compliment I'm going to pay the film, though, because as a film, it is absolutely wretched. It is it is poorly written, poorly directed, and dreadfully acted melodrama that is cliched predictable 
and it's unpleasant. I think that's the main thing about it. There is nothing or nobody, not even Pete Postlethwaite. Of, of all people, you'd think you could root for Pete Postlethwaite, but he doesn't have enough to do in the film to warrant it. There is nobody to root for in this film. There is nothing that you care about. Everyone in it is just horrible. And, I mean, well, no, there's one character who could be likeable if they weren't played by somebody doing one of the worst accent performances in the history of cinema. Um, it's just... It's just a bad film, and that's and I, I, that, I I'm not saying I can't like or enjoy a bad film, and in the way that there are people who are like who are fans of this and obviously have affection for it, I would probably liken it to something like and just to go off on a bit of a tangent, um, Driven, the indie car film with Sylvester Stallone and Burt Reynolds from 2000, which was going to be a Formula One film, and then it ended up getting turned into an indie car film. It's a terrible film on just about every conceivable level but I kind of have quite a lot of affection for it. And I can only imagine that the people who like this film feel like that, because if they actually think it's a good film, I shudder to think what they think a bad one is. Driven is the one where he drives around and flicks the quarters out and picks them up on the, in oh, the yes. soft tyres, isn't it? Yes, and doesn't yes he, it is. Doesn't he, they, he takes one of the cars out on the road at one point? They have a car chase through the streets of Chicago stealing experimental cars that are being demonstrated at yeah. an event and one of them drives off angrily and then Sylvester Stallone, the, the young character played by Kit Pardue, and Sylvester Stallone drives off after him. Um, I've, I, when I first saw that film, that was on the TV. That was the first scene that I saw, and I thought this is the most ridiculous and awful film I've ever seen. And then I watched it all the way through, and I was like, this is still the most ridiculous and awful film I've ever seen. But I kind of love it anyway. Yeah, well, that was Get Carter remake era Stallone, and he <laughs> he, he actually he quietly produced quite a number of semi enjoyable films, which brings me to talk about my feelings towards this film. <laughs> I won't use this word very often uh, when we are um, doing this podcast because there's there's very little. It just feels like it's it's a it's a, a fairly terrible emotion to put out there, and I hate listening to podcasts where everything is overtly negative. But I think this film is hateful. I really do. I, I going back and watching it. I I remember. I wouldn't say I had fond memories of it but I had memories of it you know I I remember watching it and knowing it was objectively a bad film but it was a football film and as a football fan it this was the football film of the 90s but watching it now it is I mean you're exactly right Seb for a start nobody in it is likable for a second it's just it's fairly inept on every level third its depiction of location is horribly stereotypical to the point of actually being offensive and that's me really trying to trying to not go off on one further than that it, it really is bad i think in terms of the actual football it's not too bad but there are these weird moments in it you know where the camera sort of when it goes to like an individual shot more often than Mm. not where it just suddenly appears so false and there are (laughs) like the best footballer in this film by a long long way 
is young Jimmy right at the start. You know where he's playing in mm. the playground? Yeah. That is a kid. The guy that... who I'm pretty sure they actually like cloned Sean Bean. Oh, I know. It's threw six... him up to the yeah. age of 15 or whatever. Yeah. It ge- I mean, it genuinely looks like, you bastard, Sean Bean. <laughs> but, I mean, that kid can play football properly. You know, he's he... Sean Bean is not a bad footballer, but he's he's never better than average. And some of his... Some of his goals in particular, we, we've talked before actually, Seven, you made that excellent point, I think it was during the Damn United, about how it's difficult to fake the goalkeeper. You know, mm. you, you can sort of do elements of everything else, but a goalkeeper even attempting to save a shot that he knows he's got to miss just doesn't look right. As uh, Bruce Grubbelar found out. Yeah, and there are... and, and there's, Pat Jennings found out when he was dressed as an oil filter in another one of my favourite <laughs> adverts. But um, it's, it's, I don't know that it really, I mean, it really is just bad, this film. I, I know what you mean. I, I think on, on that, and we might as well talk about that side of it now. Um, the, uh, I think it intentionally, it does a lot of cutting in, as you say, kind of too close shots. Yeah. And I think it does that deliberately because I think there is an awareness there of the limitations of trying to film football action. Um, and I mean, Mike Bassett, England manager, only comes along a few years after this and manages to do wide shots because they actually you know they almost entirely cast footballers and they choreograph them and you get shots like there's a great wide shot of Tonka actually dribbling through a defense that looks to me fairly legitimate um it's still you know it's not 100% it's you know the only way you're ever going to get 100% is to do a dream team and to actually cgi the kits onto <laughs> onto real action but it's 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 fairly well done this film doesn't really attempt to do that and i think I, I generally don't have a problem with it until it becomes glaring towards the end. And I think the biggest issue is that you never see a full frame shot of him scoring the penalty at the end. It has to cut in such a way that you never see the path of the ball into the net. No. And that's really jarring and that creates a jarring effect in your brain because your brain doesn't have the closure of actually watching the moment. And if your brain is attuned to watching football, you're like, well, where's that moment gone? Yeah. But in general, when it's just doing the kind of the cut and thrust of a match, I actually think it's quite it, it plays quite wisely in terms of keeping things close in and and t- I didn't generally get a sense of this looks really fake. I thought and I actually I think quite key uh, in the kind of you know when he's playing for Sheffield United I think the atmosphere is strong again this this is probably where I'll give the film the most credit um the noise and the and the kind of the 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 light the kind of the floodlit feel and the mud and the sound and everything um I think I think it's got good atmosphere in in those sequences I don't want to disagree with you but uh, there are I get elements of what you're saying there are so many things that take me out of the action constantly. Firstly, every other actor in on both sides, apart from uh, you've got Mel Sterland, who's playing Sheffield United's captain. I don't think he ever gets named in it. I don't. No, he he's even... just referred to as captain. Although I think, and from looking at uh, there is a there is an image of the team sheet on uh, some blog or other. 
Uh, is it like cavalcade of shirts or something like that? <laughs> uh, Sounds awful. Circus of Kits, yeah. I think. Circusofkits.com. Um, and he is... It, it, what it does is it lists uh, it lists the two teams. It, it's it's for the Arsenal one actually. It's not for the uh, it's for the one where he doesn't. It's one of the ones where he doesn't play. And the names are all people who worked at Sheffield United apparently. Except Mel Sterland is called Mel in the in the film in the credits. He's just referred to as captain. But on that Sheffield United team sheet, he is Mel Sterland captain. So right. so in this film's universe, the legendary Sheffield Wednesday player Mel Sterland, who played what like <laughs> hundreds of games for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, yeah, and Leeds um, is was Sheffield United's captain. Yeah, um, so uh, the, which is uh, bizarre. Why? Uh, Why this him? is this is what I'm talking about. There's there's so many bits that take me out of the action. That's a big one. The second one is that this this was filmed on the night of that relatively infamous um, Man United Sheffield United FA Cup replay. I think it was the night of the Cantona chip, mm-hmm. and it. it <sighs> Right, so one of my biggest problems here is nobody looks like a footballer. Seb, some of them. Oh, there's a great when they in in that in that cup tie when they're all running out. They all, all look the, about forty, and it's like I, I I could kind of understand it for Sheffield United, but the fictional Man United players all look like forty yeah, year old pub players. This is this is nineteen ninety five ninety six era Man United. Yeah, this, this is like uh, the slick at this point the slickest footballing machine that this country had ever seen. Yeah, this is what I mean. <laughs> None of them look like footballers. There's a couple of them who've genuinely got like beer bellies. And you, you like the referee runs out, and he's about seventy, so that's that's another one, and <laughs> it's like there's there's this there's that moment where he plays the one two with Mel Sterland, except you clearly see the ball being played by Mel Sterland from like I think sort of just inside his own half, and then he nods it back to Mel Sterland, who has basically run about thirty yards in about, well, probably certainly less than four seconds. And it's just stuff like that where it's like, oh, God. Some of the amateur stuff is not too bad. And I don't know how it was filmed, but for instance, I've I've talked about it on the Mike Bassett one, but Mean Machine is a film I have like a a sneaking amount of... of, I, I actually quite like that film, Seb. But what they did with the football at the end is they obviously had moments that they had to create and they had to make, but they they played over a week. They played like, I think they played like four 90-minute games and just filmed them all so that you know that all the incidental stuff was proper football, but they also managed to get a couple of people scoring goals that were genuine and and it does make a difference. Here, I don't think that's happened at all. <laughs> it feels to me like nearly everything is choreographed and it, it just doesn't work for me. You know, like, Sean Bean has had this hard life working at the brewery. Mm-hmm. He's a drinker. He's I think when he made this film, I think he was about 33. And the first logic jump we have to make, Seb, is that Sheffield United go, oh, yeah, let's give him a trial, right? So that's the first massive logic jump. The second is the detail. So as I said, nobody looks like a footballer. 
FA Cup semi-final not being played at a neutral venue, being played at Sheffield United's home ground. It's like it's these little things where you realise this has been instead of being made by somebody who wanted to make a football film, this has been made by somebody who was told to make a football film. That's my honest reaction to it. I I get what you mean, and the, this whole thing about it being you know not at a neutral venue because they used a third round tie and and all of that. Um. I, I'm minded to be slightly more sympathetic to the film than you are, and and indeed a lot of other people are, because as I say, this, this this does get picked up on quite a lot in relation to this film. It seems to be one of the biggest niggles that people have with it. The way I kind of view that sort of thing is that this is this is taking place in a fictional universe where for example Mel Sterland is the Sheffield United captain not the Sheffield Wednesday captain um i i can sort of i can sort of forgive some of the rules being slightly different i would prefer it if they were as close as possible um but like how in Mike Bassett England manager the England team play in uh, the wrong shade of kind of almost black, blue, and don't have the England badge on their shirts. They just have the word England and an Admiral logo because that's that universe, you know. Um, I, I I get that it's an issue, but I think what the way I actually view it kind of from the opposite perspective to you, which is that I'm, I actually look at understanding the the filmmaking circumstances, which are the sequence of events effectively goes... We he needs to have a moment in a really big match. That big match kind of needs to be at the end of the season. It can't really be the FA Cup third round because the timeline of the film is such that it has to come late in the season. It has to come after a certain amount of time has passed. Um, they have footage available of a very recent Sheffield United team playing against Manchester United who are recognisable. Um it makes sense. And what they don't have is footage of... Like, if he was playing for Man United in the film, they could use footage of Man United in an FA Cup semi-final because they'd been in one recently. Sheffield United had not been in an FA Cup semi-final recently. Yeah, um, I just... Although, th- then again, <laughs> now I've said that, uh, th- so that to me, what, what I'm basically saying is that I, I can sort of see that the circumstances mean that they can use this footage, which obviously isn't at a neutral venue, and they can... Um, just fudge it. Actually, there is a way around it because I'm just looking at the the screenshot that's on. Uh, it's actually on Dennis's blog of the teams running out, and they are running out in front of a big Sheffield United FC board. It would actually have been quite easy to not have that in shot. And while anyone who knew what Bramall Lane looked like would know the footage was at Bramall Lane, the film could tell you that it wasn't at Bramall Lane. And as long as you've covered up enough identifying stuff, you you, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, it, yep. it doesn't matter that the ground looks like Bramall Lane. If you're just saying it's a ground, um, it doesn't have to be the same one that you shot at. So actually, there, were, there maybe there was a way around it. So maybe it is just a bit lazy. <laughs> it's, this is this is the problem. It, like on on Adam's um, piece, football and film. It's a, a set piece is where he talks about when Saturday comes, and he does manage to talk about it in a semi affectionate way, which I just can't. If you if you do, we'll link to that article. I think when we put this this um, piece out, 
if you go down, you will see uh, that there's a, a photo of a Man United player elbowing Bean, Sean Bean, right? That Man United player tells you everything you need to know in terms of the authenticity of, <laughs> of because yeah, genuinely he looks like the middle manager at a small pharmacy. You know, he's overweight, he's balding, he's never seen a footballer in his life. And these are the things that, like, I I struggle to forgive it for because I think the thing is, like, Mike Bassett was made on even less of a budget than this. I mean, neither had a, a, a decent budget, but on even less of a budget. And they managed mm. via trickery and just being clever to capture... Uh, a lot more authenticity. I think Jimmy Grimble, which is a film I have a lot of affection for that we will get to one day, was was made for, you know, I think it was made for about a tenner all in. But and and, you know, is is capturing kids' football and it's basically Billy Billy's Boots the movie, but still manages to capture things far more authentically than here. It's just there are things here that I just mm. think are unforgivable and I just can't remove my brain enough. Like we well, talked about Driven, Seb, and the thing about mm. that film is, as two people who like motorsport, both of us can sit down and watch that film and you almost lean into the silliness of it. I just oh, can't do yeah. that with yeah. this film. I can't. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What you talk about with the, the kind of the authenticity and, and the difference with Mike Bassett, I, th- I think it's interesting at this point to kind of look at the production circumstances of it. Yeah. Uh, because I think some of the detail around who made this and and why they made it, I think, does shed some light on on some things about it. So, um, it's uh written uh, and produced. Sorry, so it's well co-written by a husband and wife team, uh, uh James Daly and Maria. Uh, we were struggling with the pronunciation. I think did we settle on on Geisa? Uh, uh, Geisa? No, I think it's Geis. 
But okay, Geis. Let's I say well Maria Geis. Yeah. Um, so uh, they were a husband and wife team. Um, James Daly at that point had been working his way, uh, according to the production notes for the film, had worked his way up from waiter to co-producer on such Hollywood hits as Highlander 2 and 3. Now, actually, uh, according to IMDb, now IMDb can be wrong, but uh, he's only actually credited as producer on Highlander 3. His only two producer credits, according to IMDb, of this film and Highlander 3. Um, I first looked into this because when I watched this, I was surprised to see Christopher Lambert's name on the film yeah, as producer, a producer. Isn't he? Yeah. So James Daly is uh, from Sheffield, uh, but at the time of this film, in 1996, had spent 14 years in L.A. So he'd done the classic Brit thing of going over to L.A., uh, working away, beavering away, trying to get a career as a as a writer-producer, and, and eventually did in, in the case of this film. And it's directed by his wife, uh, Maria Geis, who's American. Um, and evidently, he must have befriended Christopher Lambert while producing uh, the dreadful third Highlander film and Christopher Lambert gets involved with this as a producer and and you know kind of helped in terms of again according to production notes helped in terms of raising the money for the film so but what's what what is quite interesting is that again according to the production notes and, and other uh, material I've read around the film uh, James Daly uh, basically based the film on his own story. Uh, so he said, you know, I, I um, so he was a promising footballer with Hallam. Uh, he was given a trial for United. He said, I had a trial at Sheffield United, but screwed it up. I got drunk the night before and woke up next to a stripper. So he has literally worked uh, worked his own life story into this film, but he's given it a different resolution, which is that it works out for Sean Bean. So on, on the one hand, it's quite surprising that... The film seemingly lacks this this authenticity, and also I think this kind of thematic heart because it's based on on something that really happened to him. On the other hand, as I say, these production notes mention that he'd spent fourteen years in LA. So if you work backwards, this trial with Sheffield United can't have been any later than the early to mid nineteen eighties, and I think that's why you've got even though it's a guy from Sheffield who's obviously been in and around football when he was younger has then spent the last 14 years in Hollywood i think that's why his grasp on mid 1990s english premier league football is maybe lacking a little bit and i think i think that's why the film feels so throwback is that it's based on events possibly up to 20 years previously it, it, um, it, this is the problem, Seb, right? That if me or you had been paid 200 quid by the people making this film merely just to act as a fact-checker, you you would improve this film <laughs> like tenfold, genuinely. And the, that that's those circumstances make an awful lot of sense because you're right this film does feel like someone harking back to a time yeah long before i mean well this this film like it it feels out of date in 1996 never mind, yeah, 2019. Never mind 2019 you know it's it's the thing is that you say you say that about you know sort of someone checking the football stuff would have improved it from a football point of view I don't deny that that's the case. I think the key thing is, and this is... <laughs> you sometimes get accused of this when you're talking about films in terms of assuming motivations. All right, so, so take all this with a pinch of salt because this is my inference based on having watched the film. I don't think the filmmakers 
particularly care about that. And the reason I don't think they care about that is that because the question that I was asking myself when I was watching this film was, who is it actually aimed at? Because I don't think this film is aimed at football fans in the way that, again, might, uh, you might bass it, uh, or even you know your, your Jimmy Grimble or that kind of thing is aimed at people who love football and want to see a film. You know, Mike Bassett is so rooted in being about football. Um, I don't think, while I think it's a much better film than this, I don't think The Damn United is necessarily aimed at football fans. I think The Damn United is a character drama that happens to be about football. But actually, you could take Michael Sheen and Timothy Spall playing very similar characters and have that film be about something completely different from football, uh, and yeah. I think you could still have the same art and you could have the same stuff go on and people would still like it. Um, you couldn't do that with Mike Bassett. I think you could do that with this because I think this film, what this film is actually is a grim uh, romance melodrama that happens to have football being the thing that the character does. But it could be anything that Sean Bean's character yeah. uh, has as a potential career. He could be trying to be a rock star. And you, the film could have almost exactly the same arc. Um, and I think the film, the, even though it is its original conception, conception is James Daly wanting to write something about when he was nearly a footballer, I think by the time you get to the final film, you've got something that is actually about uh, this bloke from Sheffield, this tough-talking guy, and the relationship that he has with this terribly accented Irish girl, and how his life kind of goes off the rails, but then he tries to get it back. And that's why I don't think they seem to particularly care about getting the football right because even though it's called When Saturday Comes and even though it's purportedly a football film that to me is the key is that I don't think that it that it that it's really about the football uh, yeah I I wouldn't disagree with that but the marketing and everything and the mm. trailer is all about it being a football film you, well, that's because it, that's I, I, that's because genuinely, I think that is because of when it comes out, and I think the fact that it happened to come out in nineteen ninety six uh, is a fortuitous coincidence in terms of this film and its and its reputation and the fact that people remember it. Because you know, when they're making this film, they've got no idea that Euro ninety six is going to play out. The no, way and that it, it does. was it was released in March as well, wasn't it? So it's it's. Three months before Euro '96 goes, but it's but it's in the build-up, and the point is, is yeah. that at around about the point when, for example, this would have been coming out on video, uh, Euro '96 has happened, and I think it's I think it accidentally happens to be the football film that comes out the year, and and I do you know I'd say even pre Euro '96, the build-up was going on, and the country was becoming more obsessed with football. It comes out the year that. England becomes obsessed with football and so it becomes the zeitgeisty football film that people latch onto. I think that is entirely accidental and I kind of suspect that's one of the only reasons why people even remember it now. Mm. I think more people saw this because of the nation being swept up in a football zeitgeist than they would have done if it had come out in 1993. Yeah. I I mean again I wouldn't disagree but I I'm still I'm still struggling to forgive it. <laughs> and I think <laughs> its original title was a pint of bitter, and I think we can establish that would have been a far better title for it. In truth, well, it would it would it would have meant that 
uh, Andy Lyons and co would not have had to spend the last, yeah. what is it, uh, 23 years going, no, not the film, not the Sean Bean. We're not anything to do with Sean Bean. No, we were around for 11 years before <laughs> this came along. Um, I want to get into one or two specifics. And the first question I'm going to ask, and I ask semi in jest, but also out of absolute bafflement. I'm going to run through some of the people in the cast in a minute, Seb, but why in this film is everyone doing an accent, including (laughs) your bastard, Sean Bean? Everybody is doing an accent. It is bizarre. And, I I mean, you've just mentioned Emily Lloyd's Irish accent, which is, is not good but apparently i love the yeah go on yeah, well apparently <laughs> she was switched to an irish accent yeah. because her northern accent was even worse i think i think if you reach a point where you've cast somebody in a film where they've got to play somebody from the north and they can't do the accent the first question is well why do you persist in having the but then yeah the idea to switch to an accent and go yes that's better if that irish accent is better than whatever she was trying to do for a sheffield accent God yeah. only knows what it sounded like. Um, so I I want to run through one or two members of this cast because like on reflection, this is a decent cast, Seb. So we've already talked about your bastard, Sean Bean. There's Emily Lloyd, Pete Postlethwaite, who is, you know, generally speaking, is just great in anything I mean, he does. I mean, yeah, he's, he, he's just doing his... I mean, he's... I would say in this, he's Pete Postlethwaite... The dials aren't turned up very high. He's never having to get particularly out of like second gear, but he's just doing his Pete Postlethwaite thing. You know, this isn't brassed off in terms yeah. of like you know that that speech that he has in brassed off, like is your sort of your big Pete Postlethwaite moment. It's it's not that, but it's 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 you're you're always going to get a base level of quality with him, and he yeah. delivers that. Yeah. Um, Craig. Kelly as as Jimmy's brother Russell Craig who, Kelly Vince from Queer as Folk yes yeah, yeah who very looking very very young in this film yeah but like a couple of things here really so his death is choreographed <laughs> basically from the opening five minutes I mean anybody who even watched this at the time and didn't realise that was coming I mean I I I really do pity you and. So his accent, obviously, Craig Kelly is an accent is, is an actor from from Manchester, and has got quite a he's got a very recognisable voice now, Seb, due to mm. he's done voiceovers on various uh, adverts and various other things. Very very good actor, doesn't appear in loads and loads of stuff, um, but usually he's he's got a very good radar because what he appears in is usually quality. In this, he's got a half Sheffield, half Manchester accent that just really lurches from one to the it? other in the yeah. course of a sentence. And he he's the he's the she- really he's the Sheffield United fan of the piece, isn't he? He is the mm-hmm. sort of the obsessive, and of course Jimmy needs a motivation to sort himself out. So he has to die down to pit. And it's just like his character and his whole arc, I think, is one of the most on the nose things about this Mm -hmm. film. Am I wrong there or? 
No, I know what you mean. It's like, yeah, ev- every development. And then all the, the whole thing about the dad, yeah, kind of selling the program. And, oh, that whole bit with the horse bet. And, it, oh, it's... Oh. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it, this is what I mean about it being a fairly hateful film. Because, yeah. I, I, like, I also... I I don't know that if... <sighs> How can I put this? Because I I don't I don't want to say anything offensive, but I I don't know if he's trying to play the brother as slightly mentally handicapped as well. Because sometimes it comes mm. across almost as though he's supposed to be. Well, I I I'll put it politely by incredibly slow. Mm. But the problem is the character is so poorly defined that I don't know if that's actually a thing. I don't know if that's something that was written in. I don't know if it's something Craig Kelly is doing off his own back. And it again, it just like creates this sort of complete lack of authenticity that when he comes on screen, it just takes me straight out of the film. <laughs> It's 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 just another aspect of this film. I can't stand on reflection. Um, just just before we move away from Craig Kelly, very quickly, uh, are you aware of his connection to something we have previously covered on this podcast? Uh, is he a voice in the Billy the Fish cartoon? <laughs> no, there's only one voice in the Billy the Fish cartoon. Yeah, Harry Enfield. Uh, no, he's Tonka's brother. Oh yes, Craig Kelly is brother of Dean Lennox Kelly. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he is. Of course he is. Dean Lennox Kelly, who is another actor, I think is pretty good. Who doesn't turn up in enough in, mm. in enough things for me, to be honest. You've also got a sprinkling of of other sort of talent in this film. So John Henshaw turns up as um, he's manager of uh, is he he's is he Hallam's manager let me get this yes. right yes he's Hallam's manager you've got Melanie Hill in there um who oh yes and can we yeah can we let's let's just talk about the thing that we were talking about this off mic before yes, you, uh, this discussion which I've discovered Sherlock uh, Sam here has discovered a connection so at the time that this film was made uh Melanie Hill uh was married to Sean Bean although they were only about a year or so away from divorcing um so yeah, this film stars Sean Bean uh, alongside his wife, who plays his sister in this, which, you know, a bit weird, but whatever. Uh, meanwhile, it's it's written, co-written and produced and directed by a husband and wife uh, team who later split up. And Melanie Hill is now married to James Daly, the writer and co-producer of this film. They had stayed friends after making this film and then eventually got together and are now a couple. Uh, so that's what he's been up to since then, is you know, with his sparse IMDb credits. Uh, he's obviously been working somewhere, but uh, yeah, I, don't th- I thought that was quite sweet and a little bit weird, but <laughs> quite sweet. <laughs> um, and then you've you've got uh, we've mentioned Mel Sterland as captain. Uh, Tony Curry plays himself, obviously Sheffield United legend. That's another. I can't remember if Tony Curry actually says a word at any point. He does a lot of standing around, watching and, and nodding and agreeing with people, but it's. Uh, he, he, I can't remember if he actually speaks. Uh, yeah, he does. He um, he talks to Pete Postlethwaite, who uh, uh, I, I can't remember the name of Pete Postlethwaite's character, which shows you how well developed his Ken character Jackson. was. Ken Jackson. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he he does speak to him briefly at one point. So there is a sprinkling of talent in this film, but like half of them seem to be in one film, half of them seem to be in another. They're all doing an accent. You said it right at the start when I asked for your sort your sort of overview. Some of these really good actors are delivering absolutely woeful performances. And I, I'm gonna I'll be honest, Seb, I'm gonna put it out there, including your bastard Sean Bean. I think he's mm-hmm. terrible in this film. <laughs> absolutely terrible. The only time he's sort of semi-convincing is when he's in the, the working men's club and when he's in the pub and he's got mm-hmm. a drink in his hand and he he well, feels any time he's not, he just comes across as a complete fish out of water, regardless of what the circumstances are. Well, the thing about about this is that he's okay. I'm going to try and, and admittedly, I might miss out some bits or, or get some bits slightly out of sequence because it, it's because we had some scheduling issues with getting this recorded. It's actually been a few weeks since I watched this, and it's so bad I didn't want to go back and watch it a second time before we recorded. No, never again. But right, I want to just chart his character's arc through this film. Right, okay. So he starts out as uh, we meet him as a kid at school and he's he's your classic sort of you know he's a bit he's a bit kind of like tear away loutish sort of you know but he, he obviously loves to play football and he's a bit cheeky and the teachers and his dad tell him he's never going to get anywhere um you know his dad's an absolute thundering asshole a gambling uh, addict basically is yeah a gambling addict who's who we discover is bitter and jealous because he himself had failed to become a footballer and he thinks his son would be good for nothing um so then we meet him as an adult where and i do believe that it was uh yes i'm going to read uh, the, the description again from uh, dennis who's who was sadly unable to join us for this uh from his blog where he describes uh jimmy as somebody who works in a sheffield brewery and at the weekend he helps to ensure that its products are consumed <laughs> Um, never mind the weekend i think it's every evening as well so he's working in a factory working in a brewery uh he the the foreman hates him he's again he's sort of he's cheeky um you know he's 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 a jack the lad basically uh he's got this yeah this younger brother who's obsessed with sheffield united and collecting football programs and he may be a little bit slow his dad and his brother work down the mines uh but he uh he works in this brewery he plays football he gets spotted playing football and he immediately makes the step up to go and play for Sheffield Hallam. So we see him playing football, but we ne- we don't really sort of get a sort of a sense of this dream to become a footballer. It's just no. he likes playing football. He gets he starts to play for Sheffield Hallam where he falls out with um, your man from uh, Dinner Ladies and uh, The Full Monty. Um, <laughs> what's the actor's name? Steve Hewison. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, Steve Hewson, he falls out with him because he's, he's their star player, but uh, Sean Bean's better than him. Uh, even at this point, though, we've, we've had no sort of... I've, there's no point where we're kind of invited to, to sympathise with him. Really, he starts going out with the 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 new wages clerk at the factory, who's who's Irish, but her uncle is from Sheffield and she lives in Sheffield, so I don't know where she's got this Irish accent from. But um, presumably, she went over to Ireland and then came back with this bizarre accent. Uh, then he gets the opportunity; he gets spotted again and get. Uh, or is it that does 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 the manager actually go to Sheffield United to say I've got this prospect and then anyway he gets a trial at Sheffield United he gets some trials which through his own idiocy he screws up the trials because he goes out and gets pissed 
uh, and he shags a stripper, so he loses his girlfriend, but his girlfriend's pregnant. Um, he nearly misses out on playing for Sheffield United, but he decides to get his arse into gear after his brother dies. So his brother dies, he gets his arse into gear, he signs for Sheffield United, he sits kicking his heels on the bench, he grumbles about being on the bench. All of a sudden, he, through injuries, he basically gets to play in this game against Man United. And he scores a penalty against Man United. I think to earn them a draw, is it? Or is it actually to win? Is it to earn them a draw? I'm pretty sure they're 2-0 down. And then he assists the first goal. And then he scores the penalty. So they don't even win the match. It's a 2 all draw. Um, yeah. Or do they get through? Anyway, anyway. Either way, then it ends. And it's just... And I realise I've gone through that in like quite a rote way. And, be like, and then this, and then this, and then this. But the reason that I've done that is... I never felt at any point in this film, and it comes back to what I was saying at the start about how you never root for anybody. It's not even that you never root for anybody. I don't even see... There's no character arc there. All there is is this thing happens to him, and then this thing happens to him, and then this thing happens to him. And throughout all of it, his only defining personality traits are he's got a big gob on him, and he likes a drink. Yeah. And that's it. And, and he, like, he grumbles like I, an arsehole at yeah, the slightest like thing of, you know, anything going wrong, and he's yeah, just a miserable gets, bastard. Other than the fact that his, okay, his brother dies, and okay, that is a pretty big but, I'll, I'll admit, but apart from that one big but, big but, um, <laughs> considering his circumstances in life where he starts out, he ends up leading an incredibly charmed life, even down to the fact that he wins all this money on a, on a bet placed out of spite. He, he flukily wins this, this horse racing bet placed out of spite. He basically walks into becoming a Premier League footballer. Yep. I, it's a bit I, mad. You never get... You never get the sense that he deserves it. No. And apart, you never get the sense that it's his dream. You never get the sense that he's reflected on what it would mean to become that. And apart from one training sequence where he chases Pete Postlethwaite's car up a hill, apart from that, you never get the sense that he works hard for it either. He just falls into it this, because this we're is, shown at the start that, that he's a talented footballer. Yeah. But that's it. That's exactly what it, I was going to say. When his, his brother dies, him sorting himself out and trying to make an effort consists of him putting some beer cans in a bin bag and and going for a jog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. The the film doesn't even bother to really lean into that either. It's it's mm. just And again, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to compare just just purely to compare with stuff that we have specifically discussed on this podcast. Um Damned United, there are lots of points in that where you know, you're you're like where where Brian Clough is being an arsehole, basically, and and the arc of uh, Damn United is Brian Clough through his own ego puts himself in a situation where he alienates everybody. He falls out with his best friend because he's being an arsehole, and then he realizes that he's been being an arsehole, and he makes up with his best friend who he loves. And there is an arc there and that arc includes times when you're sympathetic towards him because he's getting dumped on and it's a shitty situation and times where you know that he's bringing things on himself and it, you know i'm not saying that like somebody has to be likable for the entirety of a film but just show us the journey show yeah. us the arc yeah and this film just doesn't do that it's just and then he gets this and then he gets this and then he gets this and oh look now he's scoring against man united in the cup and i don't understand how that's supposed to be a triumphant moment i think everyone involved 
feels like it's a triumphant moment because what they're portraying on screen the writer and the star are Sheffield United fans and the writer and the star are making a film where a guy from Sheffield gets to play for Sheffield United and scores the winner against Man United in the cup semi-final so to them that's but that would be like me writing a film where the climactic part of the storyline was and then Liverpool win the Champions League that's all well and good if you happen to like them but where are the narrative stakes if you don't give a shit about that particular football team? Yeah. Because you haven't given the film hasn't given us any reason to care about them. And again, to make another comparison, Mike Bassett has made us care about whether or not Mike succeeds, and it's given us enough of the characters and the different personalities in the team. We want to see Tonka come good. We want to see Rufus Smalls actually score a goal. You know, all yeah. all of that stuff. It's given us those enough of those bits that we feel invested in that group of players and the result that they get. And we don't get that with this team that basically consists of uh, Sean Bean and Mel Sterling this, this... Who, with that scene with the goal which again Dennis pointed out where uh, Sterling starts the move by lamping it upfield it's flicked on by Sean Bean and then having raced at the speed of light into the penalty area he scores it yeah this is that's what I was on about It's these are the things where the, the criminal thing about this film the, the, the thing I can't forgive it for is there is a, a genuine lack of care taken with it, with with stuff like that, that any editor in the world <laughs> should have been, in, in the course of putting this together, should have been having a word with the director and saying, mm, <laughs> we may mm. need to have a look at this. It, it's just so, it's just so lazy, which... It it brings me onto something I I want to talk about, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it fairly succinct because I I could go over the top here, but the depiction of Sheffield in this film as generic rundown northern town is is bordering on offensive at times. So you know they everybody's working down down to the pit still. And I mean, all the mines in Sheffield had, had closed. I think through. I think there was one left about three or four years before this mm. this film opened. That that was the very last one to close. Everything seems run down. Everything is grotty. Everything is working class with a capital W and a capital C. Sheffield, I can tell you from from living up here for a long, long time now. Sheffield has been and was before this film was produced. It's a very progressive city. It it genuinely is. And I mean, if you go to Sheffield now and go into the city centre, you'll see it's it's a great city. It is so lazily depicted in this film and so generically depicted in this film. It it really is a fairly offensive level of stereotyping. Now, I know why they've done it, and that's because they think it enhances Jimmy's story as this guy from, you know, again, Mm. working class with a capital W and a capital C background in a working class town, and scoring that goal is the thing that will bring the town together, Seb, you know, and everybody will be behind (laughs) it. But it, it... it just doesn't work it just does not work and the thing i would contrast it with is 
if you look at The Full Monty, which is a film also set in Sheffield, also about being working class, also depicts the city in, at times, a very sort of dark and grim and gritty light, showing, you know, shows the steelwork shut down, etc. But still also manages to capture the fact that Sheffield is a city that is progressive and that is not just terrace houses and working working men's clubs and and walks that line really really well shows that it can be done but just nobody's interested in that in this film all anybody's interested in this film is to is graffiti on the walls red brick terraces uh, an estate that looks like it it could have been the chatsworth from shamesless you know, it's it's that sort of really lazy stereotype, and then again, it's another one of those things that I just I, I just can't forgive this film for. I just can't, and I, as I said, I don't think I'll ever use the word hateful in regard to something we're reviewing again. But that for me is genuinely one of the most hateful aspects of this film. It it never ever ever bothers to cast any sort of positive light over its location apart mm. from when it's on on the football pitch at the end and it doesn't yeah. earn that it doesn't earn that retribution it 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 really doesn't it's like you said and explained really really well seb i this film is just a collection of things that happen to a man that's all it is there, there's there's nothing deeper there there's no punch the air moment you know a, a sport the great sports films are about an arc that at some point in the film leaves you punching the air whether it's the damn united rocky you know it doesn't matter what it is there's always that moment mm. and you're right this film it doesn't earn it so when they put that moment on the screen it's like yeah <laughs> and mm. And it's it's so frustrating because it's it's not hard to see a film about because yeah it's all the stuff you said about Sheffield and it's like the film basically presents where he lives as the reason why everything shit. Yeah. It's like you know it's because it's because that's where that's what he's been born into. What it doesn't do is go beyond that to go yes, but what are the external factors and the reasons why that is, and what are the socio-political reasons why that's the case? And I'm not saying the film has to get massively socio-political, but I'm just saying it has to say there is a reason why people yeah. feel this way, why the prospects are poor at this particular time, and this, that, and the other. Um, it's not just because it's Sheffield, it's because it's Sheffield in this particular place in this particular time, because these things have been closed, because this has happened, because this government's done this. And what a sports film set in that environment should do, and it, that's why it, it's so easy to see the film that does this, is that it makes football be the thing that that brings people kind of hope and then inspires them in their lives outside of that and helps them to kind of work against the external factors yeah. that are causing life to be shit. And, you know, again, if the film had just planted, other than the fact that at the start he has this thing of, oh, I'm really good at football, I really want to be a footballer, it's like the film doesn't even go, well, if I can, at least if I become a footballer, I can escape my abusive father and the lack of prospects and this, that and the other. It doesn't even draw a line for that. And so, yeah, as you say, 
that moment at the end, which we're supposed to feel, obviously the film thinks that we feel this triumphant punch the air moment. We don't, because then it's just like, oh, okay, well, he's done that. Now yeah. what? Yeah, what's, you know, what's next? He'll, he'll, he'll probably just look into the England team next. You know, the, the England manager will happen to have been watching that game and he'll get an England cap at the age of 36. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and somehow he'll manage to stuff it up by going out and getting drunk again, but then he'll yeah. realise, get himself together and get another chance... Like it, it's just. The, I mean, to be fair, that happens in Mike Bassett with Tonka, but yeah. it, it does. But I mean, that's. <laughs> but it, we love that character. Yeah, so, and it's also yeah. it's a it's completely different context. What this film is repeatedly saying is, you you can keep blowing it and you'll still get chances. And it's like, it's not the the best sports films are about people who've had one opportunity, so they have you know they've grasped it with both hands. At some point, we will cover Goal, and we'll probably do the whole trilogy, but the first film in particular is is not a bad film at all. It's a very watchable film, and it never once leans into crappy cliches about Newcastle, uh, you know, mm. and the, the city and all that sort of thing, and it's all the better for it, and I... Well, it's uh, I, I I would not expect bad stereotypes about Newcastle from Clement and Lafrenet. No, you know? no, but um, they, this is the thing about this this film is it's this isn't what Sheffield was like in 1996. Maybe if the film, as you say, had been set when the writer was going through this himself in potentially mm. 1976, maybe, but. It it's just it feels it was dated then and I mean now it is it's just horrendous. So we've been punching this film for about an hour now, <laughs> nonstop. Find me one redeemable quality because I'm struggling. So well, to be fair, while you didn't, I I did say at the start that I think generally the match action is good. Uh, I I think if if Dennis were here and again, De- Dennis has kind of picked apart the 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 kit related stuff. Um, Dennis's biggest problem with the kits, and it's a valid one, is that the numbers on shirts generally look wrong. Hmm. Um, I I would say my favourite thing about the film is that early on in the film it features one of the best goalkeeper shirts ever, which is the 91 Umbro shirt with the triangles on it. Now, it's not in the blue version, because the, the, the kind of the turquoisey blue version is the best one, but it's a purple version that, particularly with the blonde hair of the keeper in the scene, makes me think of Chris Woods. Um, so the, that- the presence of a, of a couple of good... And actually, in a later scene, you get the next year's umbro purple goalie shirt but it's the you know when they went retro and the goalie shirts all were big ones with pinstripes and it's the purple one with the pink pinstripes uh which makes me think of uh ipswich actually that stripey uh template but uh there you go in dennis's absence i've done the kit chat but you you get some nice kits in this film uh and and as i say I, i would i would come back to i think whenever i think apart from that opening park scene uh all of the um the matches i think are are mostly set at night and i think that's to the film's benefit because you get lots of nice shots of floodlights reflecting off the mud and i think that gives a nice 
I do think that gives a nice atmospheric feel to it. I think it feel I think it feels nitty gritty of football at times, and it's just a shame that it doesn't capture that more throughout the film, and that it doesn't tie that to a good story and remotely likable characters and and any good dialogue whatsoever. Yeah, you just reminded me of something else those have that really annoyed me. This is this is the problem with this film. I cannot think of this film without being annoyed. I moaned earlier about that Man United team coming out looking like every <laughs> yeah. team of over 40s you've ever played at six aside in your life. But then when it comes to take that penalty, I'm not joking you. I mean, people who go back and revisit this film will see what I mean. Everybody on that football pitch looks 40 to 45, right? Genuinely. Apart from Man United's keeper who genuinely looks about 13. <laughs> if you if you go back and watch it, honestly, he looks like, uh, you know, he looks like a teenager. So I don't know where, again, where is the consistency? How can you put like a team of balding blokes with beer bellies on as Man United with a 13-year-old in goal? It is just so sloppy. I, I, I'll go on record, Seb. I can't think of a single redeemable quality. The only thing I like about this film is the fact that I never, ever have to watch it again. Ever. <laughs> and I, I won't. I genuinely won't. Because watching it again for this podcast, it it wound me up like you wouldn't believe. It It's just 90 minutes of hate watching for me. And I've just got too much going on in my life to ever consider doing that again if you're listening to this and you have a great deal of affection for it absolutely fair enough i'm not going to tell you what to like but i would say if you haven't watched it in the last 10 years maybe try another little run through and then get back to me and see if you still oh, i don't know I, I i would say if you have fond memories of it don't ruin them by rewatching. Yeah, true. Them. Cling, true. cling on to your positive memories. Yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah. You, you're right. Actually, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Never do do what I'm going to do, and never, ever, ever watch it again. So when Saturday comes, in short, shite. That's a cheery way to end. <laughs> we we've done in this podcast. I think we've been quite lucky because even Billy the Fish, which we both went back and did. And I wouldn't say either of us particularly enjoyed, but there's still moments where it is actually genuinely pretty good. There are still jokes that land. Mm. It's not actively a chore. This this film is actively a chore. Within two minutes of watching it, you are literally looking at the clock going, how long is left? I think what frustrates me the most about it is that the 90s are obviously such a, you know, I mean, obviously to us because they're the era that we grew up, but in general, in terms of football in this country, uh, the 90s are such a pivotal decade. I think more pivotal than, than any decade that's come since uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the growth of, of football and of football culture. And in almost every other area, um, you know, in the in the 90s, you've got, a range of football books. You've got an awful lot of football on TV, uh, you know, TV about football, fiction, documentaries, all the rest of it. Uh, you've got a great range of football games, which we're going we're to come and cover at some point. Um, films, 
other than Fever Pitch, which kind of doesn't really count anyway, the 90s are lacking in football films that, that basically that act as a time capsule of that era. Um, this is kind of the main one. This is this is the big 90s football film. And it represents the era so poorly. You know, we've got we've got Goal and, and Mike Bassett for the 2000s. And for all the problems with Goal, I think Goal comes out quite working quite well as a time capsule of the 2000s. Like, I think you can watch Goal and get a sense of where football was in the in the mid 2000s, you know, Um this film does not do that for 90s football and given everything that was going on in 90s football i feel like we've lost out by having this as the representative of that decade in in this medium yeah yeah i <laughs> it it's it just doesn't work this film and it's a shame that it has the sort of level of prominence because literally anything else deserves to, yeah. you know deserves it and this this really doesn't anyway we have we have beat up this film severely <laughs> um right we have uh a couple of things to report the first is we are now on instagram aren't we so at uh are, yes. beyond the yeah. touchline pod um all three of us are posting on there we've had Gaza the game and uh, some. Uh, I took a picture of my bookshelves and we had a little sneak peek of the Ryder Rovers uh, celebration annual, which you have, have written copious amounts for, Seb, and is definitely. I think anybody who's listening to this podcast, if they haven't picked that up, they really should pretty quickly. Um, it's a shame you've probably missed the Black Friday sale where, where the hardback was half price. Yeah. Yeah, you can still get it at the Roy the Rovers website. Um, but we're also uh, we're also on Twitter and all, in all the usual places. Please leave us a review if you are enjoying it. We are going to get back onto a much regular, much more regular schedule next year. We've been a slightly hit and miss because we've had everything from uh, new arrivals to illnesses to uh, computer troubles to everything has has just got in our way uh, basically <laughs> but eventually yeah. we have we have got to this point and uh, yeah we in the new year we're all committed to uh, getting on a much more regular schedule and we've got some very good stuff lined up and finally I'm going to convince the other two to watch Jimmy Grimble so <laughs> In short, never watch when Saturday comes. Uh, It's goodbye from me, David Hartrick. See you later. Uh, And goodbye from me, Seb Patrick. I will also see you later, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.